0: Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you
1: have. What is up on a Sunday night at the request of the people? We've gotten this podcast up on Sunday evening, at least on the Rippy Rights feed. We'll see once I send it to uh, Chase where we land with the MPW feed. But anyway, it's our Sunday SEC baseball conversation with Colin Brister. We got into the Rebels 3-0 weekend in Minneapolis, the uh Emmy Award-winning broadcast associated with it. Um, look around the SEC and a whole lot more as you're starting to slowly learn a little bit more about this team. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry need to check these guys out. March madness is coming up or already in the midst of March madness really, but the NCAA tournament's coming up. They crush it every single year in college basketball. I can essentially guarantee you that if you skybox to the NCAA tournament, you will wake up in April, a winner. Their NASCAR package had a 34.95 plus unit weekend this weekend. That seems handy they're entering their prime season. You need to check them out. Sign up for a picks package that fits your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can do all sports. You can do sports-centric. Whatever the case may be, you're going to find a picks package that fits your price range to type in the promo code RIPPEE, and that'll get you 20% off. Then they're going to email you the picks, in a nice little color-coded spreadsheet organized by unit, and boom, you're well-equipped to profit through the month of March and beyond. They're the best in the business. Check them out, SkyboxSportsPicks.com podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford go see greg if you're a rippy right subscriber that's rippy rights at get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now it is Three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation there for 20 bucks for you. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grill weekend. Go in there. Show him proof of subscription. He'll give you those. You can go grill them with your buddies. Then go find your own favorites at LB's. There's all kinds of delicious stuff. Incredible selection of sausages, seafood, different cuts of meat. I love the tri-tip. We just had a grill corner on Friday that hopefully made you hungry listening to. It's the best butcher shop in the world. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Colin Brister on the weekend that was for Ole Miss Baseball and a look around the Southeastern Conference. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, the man himself, Colin Brister. We are here to discuss Ole Miss's 3-0 weekend at the Cambria College Classic. Um, I think probably when you look back at Mike Bianco's career or his trophy mantle, it would probably be the national title 1A, but I imagine this one's got to be one B. This is up there with one of his highest accomplishments. Since the uh in the two more than two decades he's taken over the program. it's just remarkable stuff. Um made you wish you were there with the celebration at the end, the champagne, the confetti. It's just a huge weekend.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> as someone as as Drew McGee he said on Twitter, um, this weekend, uh Flow Sports would like to know what is up with Big Ten Plus's um video Nobody. model. Explore <laughs> sports is like, guys, you have to improve. Um, so uh, we kind of saw Ole Miss play three games. I guess you saw three. I saw I saw Saturday and Sunday. Um, play this weekend, I didn't really get to see them catch the ball a whole lot. And, you know, sometimes they hit a homer that we didn't get to see. And, um, you know, obviously no replay because that that's putrid. Um, yeah, but no, Ole Miss was uh, really good this weekend. And, and, look, it's a really good baseball team um they've, they've got warts everybody's got warts but um look they kind of just did what really good baseball teams do they just won baseball games I don't I don't really know if there's um any other way to put it they just showed up and did what they were supposed to do
1: I'm with you like I as I mentioned right before we hit the record button not to uh deter people from listening to this week's episode but I mean like don't have anything to say about this but I just didn't have any um I didn't have any real like concrete takeaways. I mean, we can get into some of it. The bullpen was better, but you're exactly right. They just they just kind of handled pretty easily. Two, I think, bad ish baseball teams. I don't exactly know a ton about Nebraska. I can tell you, uh, Minnesota's. I don't think they're as bad as their record, but I mean, Jesus man, zero and 0 and ten. Did they lose today? I didn't even pay attention. Are they owned they uh, they're
0: they're currently getting their face kicked in by Vandy.
1: Okay, so 0-11, and then I think Maryland is not a great team. I think they are a pretty good team that will probably still win the Big Ten. I haven't seen anything that will convince me otherwise. You know, Iowa's looked a little spunky. I don't know much about any of the other teams in the conference at that point. But you're right, Ole Miss just kind of went in there and took care of business. And I thought they probably played their cleanest game of the weekend when they had to, which was the Friday game because you're going up against Savakul again. They got to him a little bit better than they did last time. They got a pretty good start, actually a really good start from Jack Doherty and the bullpen slammed the door. So like the one kind of showcase game this weekend, Ole Miss took care of business. But let's just get the important stuff out of the way. I'm not done with this broadcast. So okay. I uh, i don't know about you. I guess unless you found some uh, illegal stream that's sure to crash your computer throughout the course of this podcast, um, you probably paid the $8.99 for I did. Big Ten I Plus. Did. I did, too. Uh, most of the time, I'll have trouble remembering to cancel such things. I won't have much trouble remembering to cancel this. Um, in fact, I've already done it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, was, right. that was something, man. I feel like I should have actually been paid to watch that. They should have been like, here, if you sign up and you tune into this, we will actually Venmo you 15 bucks."
0: I uh so I wondered if they had to put and this is genuine. I wondered if they had to put the camera so high that it was hard to because I don't know how NFL cameras work and whatnot. I wonder if that was like an issue. Um but I feel like that's probably something you may uh should be get getting better at after day one. Um I, I watched the first three innings of Vanderbilt in Minnesota because I'm weird. And uh they were not better. It was still terrible. So Um, they, uh, they did not get better or improve, um, or embrace adversity, uh, as, as we sit in the last game of, uh, the Cambria college classic.
1: I look, maybe, I I think there probably is something to it. There's probably a ton of different things that you and I complaining on a podcast, not understand about the logistics of this broadcast. And yes, probably the fact that somewhat it's an NFL stadium probably had a little bit to do with maybe some limitations, you know, I mean, they basically had the, uh, they basically had each team's dugouts. Those were basically like the cages. You see it like the Collins Zoo, that redneck zoo in South Mississippi. Um, mm-hmm. That type of stuff reminded me a little construction scene. They basically just like hollowed out a, const- a construction storage container. I bet there were some logistic- logistical limitations to the broadcast. But without referencing the MAIS more than I already do, Jackson Academy has students that stream all of their sporting events. I know they do it for football. I'm pretty sure they do it for most basketball games. They did. Baseball, I don't really do it. They do know. it for
0: baseball, too, because I, I watched film on them last year. So. Okay,
1: and they do a great job with it. I got Brian Eubank, who's been the radio guy for forever, is kind of taken over that and headed it up. I think he's kind of their unofficial official SID now. And they do a terrific job. So with respect to maybe any limitations they had, if you got a group of high schoolers at a small school in Mississippi's capital city that can figure out a way to pull it off, I'm going to bet the Big Ten or Fox can too if they wanted to. <laughs> this, to me, was a typical mailing it in because they didn't want to and they didn't care. Everyone wanted to dump on the broadcasters. Look, spoiler alert. You are no, not going to into the broadcasters on some streaming network for college baseball. But they were handicapped by the fact that, I don't know, there was one to two cameramen tops. I couldn't figure out if one guy was running from behind home plate to center field the whole time and manning both stations. But it was really just the fact that they mailed it in that was probably bothersome for me. They didn't even try.
0: Yeah, no, the, the broadcaster's gonna pass for me because uh my dad told me he was listening to the radio broadcast on Friday coming home. And he said uh he said that Brad Henderson said, Yeah, some of these pitches look off, but I can't really tell because I'm three hundred feet away.
1: I heard so- him say that on Friday. <laughs> that was hilarious, honestly.
0: Yeah. So like I don't know how you get mad at the guy sitting in the booth calling calling the game from three hundred feet away. No, it's uh yeah, that was bad. Yeah, and, and I'm used to bad. Um Like, you know, I've watched Ole Miss play at, like, Stetson and FIU and all that good stuff before, so I'm used to bad. But, man, that was – that may have took the cake for the absolute worst thing I paid $10 for.
1: (laughs) Dude, it was up there. One of the greatest parts, I think it was the Friday game. It may have been Saturday. I can't remember. But um, Alderman hit a rocket home run, and I believe it went over the right field fence – but the camera guy kind of panned out, sorted to center, then kind of left center, then back over to right center. And the announcer was like, this one got out of here in a hurry. And I was like, oh, did it now? That's news to me. Um, you know, I'll take your well, word for it. I have no idea if yeah. this is a home run or if he missed the ball. I, I heard a there, sound. There were multiple
0: times in the Saturday or Sunday game that would be like, "Ah," oh, and Ethan Groff catches it in center field. And I'm like, if you say something. <laughs> yeah.
1: What a play by Groff! There was one with Leje down the line. It was like what a stab by Leje, and I was like, "Well, yeah, I saw his ass. I didn't actually see, I didn't actually see him make the play on the ball, but I, I did see him move quick. So there's that. I guess we can't be picky. We did get to see pieces and parts of players making plays. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're what you're
0: getting mad about. You saw his foot. <laughs>
1: It was so perfect last night. Ole Miss kind of survives that game against Minnesota that really been uh, just kind of an RPI bomb and just really a bad taste in their mouth loss. And you couldn't see the last out. That was just the perfect um, kind of bow on everything. So that was uh, that was that was my critique of the broadcast. (laughs) I'm just gonna call it piss poor all around. I uh, I don't really have any bright spots. The announcers showed up all three days. They tried. There were no weather delays. Outside of that, I'm not giving the Big Ten um or whoever else was responsible for this atrocity much more credit than that. Do you have any other thing, anything positive to offer?
0: Uh no, no, I'm good. Um okay. No. Yeah, I'm I'm good. That was wow, that was
1: amazing. How about the how about I, the I, line I, on the fence, the right field fence where oh Harris hits it over the he had a nuke to do, that? Do, so you have to right hit center. the ball
0: six hundred feet for it to get out there? Is that what I'm is that what I'm hearing? Because that ball went four hundred and fifty feet and won the Homer.
1: That's actually what I told someone last night. I was sitting there watching it with a group of friends at a, at a buddy of ours house here in Oxford. And I was like, I think that was a 460 foot double, which you don't see those very often, <laughs> but he had the line on there. It goes over the line. And then my had off the wall and then Minnesota makes a pitching change. And I feel like I'm taking like crazy pills. I'm like, I don't understand. Why is this not a home run? No one's really saying anything about it. I kind of solicited feedback on Twitter. Everyone seemed as confused as I was. And then we get an explanation. Apparently, I wasn't listening, but I had a uh, someone on the internet message me this that the radio broadcast explained it as that's a home run when high school teams play there, um, but college you have to hit it over uh, God knows what. I don't know. I could never see the top of. The I would like to. I would like to
0: weekend. meet the. I would so, like to meet the high school kid that hits the ball there. I'd, I'd like to meet that kid.
1: I just love the fact that they left the line there. They're like, this is not the rule. <laughs> Everyone relates a yellow line over fencing in college and base- any level of baseball as, okay, that's the top of the fence. But they just left it there, and they're like, no, 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 this is just – this is decoration. The gopher- gophers are yellow. um That's a yellow line. Pay no more attention to it beyond that. Just the fact that they left it up there was the best part for me. And the fact that you couldn't see the top of the right field fence. So I guess the explanation is Calvin Harris needed to hit it higher. How high? I don't know. Just higher.
0: I'm glad, I'm glad something was provided um, for us to open this podcast about because we can't – I'm having trouble crap on, crapping on Tennessee because they're not losing baseball games right now. I wish they would get back to that. That would make my heart happy if they'd start losing again. But they've given up like 11 runs all year going into Sunday. So uh, I'm worried the balls are good again.
1: And 22 walks on the year as a staff, which uh, leads the Southeastern Conference God. by – a long shot. They are, uh, as much as you like to get on them, they are pretty, pretty good. I will make a correlation back to Tennessee. Um, this will be a long-winded one. I w- I talked to Chase on Thursday about Tarpgate. I guess we can get your thoughts out of the way. Oh, from- yeah. From Tarpgate as well. So Ole Miss was able to play three games this weekend without being able to cop out with the lightning delay, which was, uh, <laughs> I guess, just some fortuitous luck up there that they just don't have lightning up there in the Midwest. But, um, I talked to Chase about this on Thursday, so not to be too repetitive, but what is your take on Lane Burroughs really just kind of making an ass out of himself uh, because he's frustrated with the rule? I, I, Okay. If
0: I was okay with everything from Burroughs up until he started blaming Ole Miss, I would be remarkably frustrated um, if I were him. I'm not, I I would have been remarkably frustrated, but my frustration would have just been in general, not necessarily at Ole Miss. Um, he, he mentioned moving the game from, you know, the game was originally scheduled from four. They moved it to three. Lane Burroughs wanted to move them up. Okay, I don't know if people pay attention to the radar, because, but I do because I coach baseball in this area, sort of in this area. I have to monitor the radar. It changed all freaking day on Tuesday. It changed all day, okay? And then it changes into Wednesday. They didn't know exactly what to do. And also, it's not the easiest logistical thing. It's not just the weather
1: when you move a game up, to your point.
0: From 4 to 12? Like, like, okay, well, do you understand that now people that were working other jobs now have to be at this job at 12 because you've got to have so much security people. You've got to have so many people in the ticket office. It's not the easiest logistical thing to move a game from 4 to 12 o'clock. So that doesn't really hold water with me that you want to move the game from 4 to 12 o'clock. Don't even talk to me about tarping the field. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all week. The game was at no point delayed or canceled because of rain, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was delayed because of lightning. They tried to retake the field at 7.40 p.m. It lightninged again, and at that point, Ole Miss said, we are not going to sit here all night. We have to fly to Minnesota tomorrow. This thing's done. Um, They could have sat there and waited, and it was just going to continue to pour down rain. The tarp had nothing to do with it. It's just a crappy situation, and maybe even you could convince me it's a crappy rule. That Ole Miss, unfortunately for Louisiana Tech, benefited from. I I, I don't I don't get Burroughs going off, and we're never going to schedule Ole Miss. Okay, it's fine. I like I'm so I don't mean to be like you know what's the word? Pretend that you know the university I root for is superior anyway. But I think Ole Miss will be okay without scheduling the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs from now on. And I like Louisiana Tech, and Burroughs has done a good job. But like, come on, man, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that we're right, wrong, or indifferent, that would be similar to me looking at my boss if he made me mad about something. He's like, I'm not checking emails today. He'd be like, well, okay, like, you know, that doesn't really affect me as much as it's going to affect you, pal, because that's going to get you in trouble with a whole lot of other people and ultimately work to your – that's not the greatest analogy in the world, but you get my point. Like, when he starts yeah. saying stuff like that, it's like, what uh, – okay, like, who do you who do you think you are type of thing? And on top of that, you're right, it was all tart based and I don't want to get too repetitive, so I'll kind of breeze through this piece of it. But what was funny was is Burroughs is sitting there complaining to the TV reporters that showed up from Rustin or wherever they showed up, presumably in the dugout. As at that time, he's looking out at a relatively dry field. It rained a little bit, it was like kind of off and on sprinkling. Um, but it was delayed because of lightning. The game was never delayed because of rain. So presumably, while he's making those decorations, he is um he's looking out at a dry field as he's just going to town on how mad he is about the field not being tarped. And I even made this point afterward to uh, to Chase, was like, look, these guys, he's mad about what is a screwy situation for his team. I don't know if it's a bad rule or not because I don't know the alternative. Like, if the alternative is just, okay, whenever the game gets called, like at that point, whoever's winning wins. I mean, that seems somewhat fair, but also if you're not going to give the other team a bat, that doesn't seem totally fair. No, I don't. That's, no, I'm out on that. They found the most, inju- like, in the unjust interpretation possible of the rule, where you have an inning where one team's winning, the next inning starts, the other team takes the lead, you don't finish that inning, and then you have to revert back to the score. Like, it was the worst possible way yes. that rule could be um, implemented, and it just kind of happened that way. So, whatever, bad luck, but even if Burroughs wants to go off on it after the game, look, I get it. These guys are mad. Um how many times has Mike Bianco gotten mad in a snap at a postgame press conference or something like, you know, it's probably not what he's actually mad at. But he's just frustrated because they just got out of a competitive situation and he's having to talk to media immediately. I get that. But it's when he goes on his radio show the next day, yeah. and continues to go on this rampage about how we're not going to schedule a miss again. It's like, all right, this is a grown man who presumably knows how weather works. I guess the jury might still be out on that. Who had a night to sleep on this. Got in front of a microphone or a telephone call to call into a radio show and continued on with it. That's when he lost me as a total dope. I, I don't get it. I cannot defend it. To me, Lane Burroughs is now a dunce. And I would have given you know, it wiggle room after the game because people say stuff when they're frustrated, fresh off a competition.
0: So so I, I will I want to say this. Um I actually uh, Burroughs came and spoke at a convention I was at last summer, and I think he he does a really good job from running a program and all of this, but I'm I'm with you like that this was this one a little too far um you know what you know how this ends right you know what the result of this is gonna be
1: right Ole Miss goes to Rustin next year and gets mm-hmm. beat mm-mm, mm-mm. You're, you're thinking too far ahead Louisiana Tech
0: will be the two in Ole Miss's regional
1: oh I was thinking too far ahead that <laughs> would definitely happen the committee whether they want to admit it or not the NCAA baseball committee kind of loves stuff like that oh i like, do that like and overtly I, I, admit it but they kind of do when it works
0: Oh, they can put Texas and Texas A and M in a regional, buddy. That's going to happen.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So no. I uh, mean, you almost I'm had that old Miss State Super one year. Remember that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of shocked that hasn't. I mean, frankly, if I were them, I would have. Um, in 21, matched Old Miss and stayed up. Or 19, I would have matched Old Miss and stayed up. And I dang sure. Well, State probably not going to make a regional. But um, I was going to say I'd do it this year. But um, State can't
1: stop walking people. That is true. They just walked someone while we did this segment, presumably. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want to get your thoughts on Tarpgate. I get it. The guy's got to stick up for his program. But when it strays so far away from any semblance of reality, it's like maybe just put a sock in it and just be frustrated that you lost. But he's mad about the rule. That's what I was going to get my Tennessee tie into. You know, he's mad at Ole Miss about the rule. If anything, he should be upset with Tennessee, right? Because if you're upset with the rule, then you're in turn upset at the rules, you know, author. And you know the Constitution of that's this sport we know was written in Knoxville. Should he not so, be bad at Tony Vitello in the vaults because they wrote the well, rules?
0: Well, that that's true. But now, how do we how do we assess this situation that's currently going on in Knoxville where Tennessee broke their own rules? If they are the author of the rules, they uh may, maybe 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 they need to learn their rules better. Maybe they need to uh, to figure out that tampering is bad and you shouldn't do it. Because um, nobody else is tampering, obviously. Just to see. Um, and, maybe we and, just get a
1: conference in Knoxville, and they can explain it a little better. Because it seems to good be clear even to the founders. So if we can all come together and learn at like a conference, maybe have some you know crappy subs. You get Vitello yeah. to put on a suit and tie and a speech. We could all just learn what the rules are. That way, we don't have these problems.
0: <laughs> oh God, yeah, I need them to go back to losing games. I, I need my heart needs that.
1: They're going to be good, and it's going to be another fascinating storyline once again. Let's dive into the baseball this weekend, though. We delayed it a little bit because, again, I just don't think there are a ton of strong takeaways. But let's just start with things that stuck out from each game. One, Jack Doherty was awesome. That was the longest outing of his Ole Miss career. That was the first time he'd gone more than five innings. He allowed one earned run on three hits with seven strikeouts and three walks. And that's against the best lineup they faced all weekend. I think Maryland is a veteran lineup that kind of knows who it is. Um, some really good in pieces on there, not the depth of an old Miss or maybe some of the other SEC programs, but he gave you a Friday night starter-esque start, 95 pitches, pretty efficient with it. Again, the only three walks. Like, until Hunter Elliott gets back, and we'll get to that news in just a second, that's exactly what they need him to be as they try to stay afloat. So this. That was perfect. Uh, yeah, and,
0: and uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but this is, I think – Considering the fact that Maryland had just seen him a week ago makes it even more impressive. That is because a good point. Doherty Doherty's a guy that, um, if I'm not mistaken, relies heavily on a fastball with a good bit of good bit of spin and, and a slider. Okay. Well, that's good, especially if, if they haven't seen you before. But when they've seen you and they know what you have, it's a lot harder to get the guys out when you don't have the, you know, the great repertoire pitches. So what you have to rely on that at that point least to me, and again, I'll, I'll be be candid. Um, I didn't, I haven't watched all of Doherty's start. I've tried to go back and watch most of it. Um, that tells me he was hitting spots, and you, and you could probably speak more of this. He was hitting spots. He was throwing the slider in the strike zone with great consistency, um, and he was able to locate the changeup, whereas maybe, you know, if this was just the first time seeing him, he could have dominated with the high spin rate fastball and the slider. So this, to me, feels like maybe he, he pitched it, um a little bit better, and was able to 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 hit the spots and and to be great with the off speed more so than just dominating with the fastball, which he was which he was able to kind of do against Oklahoma in the national title series. So it feels like more he had more pitchability this week, maybe versus last week.
1: I think you're dead on with that. That mirrored what I saw with my own eyes during that start, and then kind of the inverse of that is what Ole Miss was able to do to Sabakul. He wasn't terrible by any right. He ended up he only had two strikeouts. He wasn't as sharp, I didn't think, with some of his stuff as he was the first time around, only walked one, but gave up three earned runs on five hits. But Ole Miss chases him after five innings because he was struggling to locate as efficiently as he did the first time. And his pitch count gets up to 96 pitches after five innings. And then boom, it was kind of exactly what you saw from the weekend before. Once Ole Miss gets into the Maryland bullpen, that is ginormously advantage Ole Miss. And they took advantage of that. You know, I say they took advantage of it. It remained a 3-1 game throughout the entirety of the game until the ninth inning. But Ole Miss tacked on, put some pressure on the base pass ended up winning the game fairly handily at five to one. And they took advantage of Doherty's outing because you get it. uh, They had Matt Parenteau come in who allowed two hits, got an out. And, you know, as we're in this limbo period between when Hunter Elliott comes back again, I don't know if that's a guarantee. I don't want to say it's a guarantee. I don't think they're like misleading us and he never comes back again, but I don't think it's a guarantee that you come back. He comes back and you just get vintage Hunter Elliott. I hope that's the case for the kid's sake but I still think there's a lot of variables in terms of what Hunter Elliott could contribute to Ole Miss this year. That being said, in the meantime, as this current pitching ecosystem is kind of the way that it is, you saw Mike Bianco in a high leverage situation once again, give Mason Nichols the nod of the kind of um, Taylor Broadway where, okay, shit's getting hairy enough of this. Let's go finish this game because Matt Parento struggled or Parento, however you say it, they get a couple runners on base, uh, them being um, Maryland in the seventh inning. And Bianco said, Nope, not doing this. This is not about to get hairy. Went to Nichols and he was terrific and shut them down.
0: Yeah, no, I thought that was really big for Nichols to just somewhat be extended. He goes 2.2, I believe, gives up three base runners. Maybe I'm incorrect on that, but I think that's right. Um, and, and strikes out a few and almost gets the win. Um, and obviously, I think Mike knew, hey, Uh, This is the game. This is going to be the most competitive game of the weekend. Look, Minnesota, while the score was close, I don't really think Ole Miss was ever in danger of losing that baseball game. Um, And then Nebraska, obviously, Ole Miss was able to maul. um, And we can get to this later, but I I just kind of think at this point, it's pretty, pretty obvious that Ole Miss is going to maul um, average to below average pitching. Um, which is what they kind of saw on Saturday and Sunday. So I, I, Mike knew, hey, this is the highest leverage situation of the weekend. Let me put my best guy in there. Um, something he's not always done and, and he did this weekend and his God delivered. So, um, no, Friday was really, really good. And, and, and I think it was a gritty win, really gritty. Um, you know, I don't, you know, kind of like Saturday last week against Maryland, uh, where you just kind of figure it out and win. And I think that's what older teams do. And I think that's what this team is going to do. Um, I know people are worried about the pitching. I get that. I think this team's really, really good. I do. Um, and and I just always defer to I'll, I'll think number five in the dugout figures out anything related to the pitching staff.
1: Yeah, and even if – again, we talk about it every year. Mike always figures out the pitching staff. And because of the way the offense has performed for most every game this year, you know, even if the pitching's not great – the offense is allowing them more time to figure it out without taking on water. And I guess by taking on water, I mean, in the forms of like wins and losses um, and damaging, you know, whatever resume you have, I get wins and losses will be weighted a lot more when they get into conference play, not a ton that this team was going to do a non-conference play unless they just hit some sort of ridiculous losing skid was going to have a gigantic impact on their NCAA seating, where they fall as far as a host or wherever it is, as it pertains to the NCAA tournament. But the longer and longer you can keep winning, despite the bullpen not being great, just gives them more time to figure it out. And as you've seen, the larger the sample size and the more time Mike Bianco is given to figure it out, he normally does. And I guess that would lead me to my next question, because you're starting to see whatever the pieces are that he's going to work with to kind of figure this thing out are starting to emerge. Uh, Mitch Morrell seems like an obvious one. Sam DeCoyan seems like an obvious one. Mason Nichols, very obviously the best tool that he has. But the two and three other guys behind him are starting to emerge a little bit, and the two that stick out are Morel and Takoyan. He's also used Uh, Braden Jones in every weekend, I think, this year. So you're starting to see the three and four guys. I guess to kick that into a question, you know, there's some years where it gets harder to figure it out when you're not great on the mound because you just don't have the pieces. Do you sense that this team has the pieces that he just needs the time to put them in the right place? Like I guess in the bet in a simple sense, do you think the
0: talent is there? Yeah, I do. From a talent perspective, I do. Um, I think – let me ask you this. If L- Elliot does come back, and I know it's early, I think it's going to be hard to take Jack Doherty out of the rotation, especially if Nichols is good at the back end. So if you do that, it moves one of Sonia and Revis to the bullpen. Um, yeah, I think the, oh, I think the guys are there. I think the talent's there for him to figure it out. I don't think this is a 2010 situation where – um they don't have the dudes they don't have the horses no i think the talent's there they just got to get guys on the mound and, and here's the thing that you know guys like me that that care a bunch about stats are, are gonna have to get over this year you may at the end of the year have guys um throwing critical innings high leverage innings that have a six or a seven era because right now they're having to put them in games and they're getting hit right now because yeah. they're not very good right now and and maybe they they uh become good and maybe they figure it out in march and into April. Um, and and those guys' numbers aren't aren't what you want them to be, but they're the better option right now. Um, I think that could happen. So yeah, look, you you don't develop pitching staffs by throwing in inter squad games. You got to put these guys in real life settings, and sometimes that blows up on you. Uh, but I do think the the talent is certainly there for fullness to be a competent pitching staff. I don't think they're going to be a top half of the league pitching staff, but I don't think they have to be with the way they swing the baseball. Well, they yeah, with the way they swing the bat.
1: To your point about guys being used later in the year with not great numbers, I mean, right now, Sam DeCoin, I think, has a 7-3-0 ERA. I don't think yes. that's in any way reflective of what he's been as a pitcher because he's had some rough moments, but he's also had some moments, particularly that first inning of relief on Saturday, last Saturday, that is, against Maryland. You're like, damn, that looked pretty sharp. Like, th- this, this, will pro- this will play. And then it kind of blows up on in the next inning as he still kind of learns and tries to figure this out. But you're starting to see, I think, who Mike Bianco... Wants to count on or can count on um, starting to take shape. Now, the other end of that coin is I don't know how many options there were, right? It was just a bunch of dudes we don't know yet because as it stands right now, Doherty and Nichols are the only two pitchers on the team that are healthy that pitched double-digit innings last year which is kind of crazy to think about. So there really is just a lot of new, but you're starting to see kind of the cream rise to the top in terms of the options of the new guys. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I guess to play out the hypothetical you just dropped in there a second ago, uh, I didn't want to ignore that one. You mentioned it's going to be hard to take Doherty out of the rotation. While I don't necessarily disagree if he continues to perform the way that he did, say, you know, on Friday, don't you think that the bullpen becomes infinitely less complicated if he is back there? Because he can be used mm-hmm. in so many different ways. So be kind of a multi-out closer. But to have that bridge in Nichols to bridge it to Doherty makes sure. a lot of this other stuff we've been talking about with the bullpen less relevant immediately. It just seems less complicated if he's back there.
0: It it does It does seem less complicated from a bullpen perspective if he's back there. My question would be, do you trust the guy on Saturday and Sunday right now?
1: That's very much the jury is still out. That's the other side of that argument, because I don't know how you can. I'll give I'm honestly and this isn't necessarily a knock on. On Grayson Sonier, I'm more in the camp that it's probably if you made me flip a coin, it's like one of these two guys is going out of the rotation. Again, this is just a hypothetical. Which one would it be? I'd probably Dreamers lean towards maybe. Rivas staying in because yeah. he just gave another oh, wow. Sunday-like effort again. Like, it wasn't perfect, but he goes four to third. He didn't let Nebraska creep back in the game, you know, too badly. I think he ends up allowing three earned runs and like, couple, a uh, couple of hits, three hits, a couple walks, but it was a very Sunday like effort where that second quality starter is what you're not seeing in Sonia yet. Does it come? Yeah. I don't know. He got to the through five innings for the first time in out of his three outings this time, 11 strikeouts, two walks. The stuff is there. It's just the mistakes in the middle. He'll be rolling and rolling and rolling and either have one bad at bat where he walks someone in a non-competitive four or five pitches or, or all of a sudden he throws two awesome pitches. He's ahead in the count and the guy hits one 460 feet. So like the stuff is there in pieces. I just don't know if he's putting it together or can put it together in the time frame that Ole Miss needs him to. Yeah.
0: Um, no, that's a fair point. Uh, I didn't thought about Rebus and going, he went 4.1 today. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Four to third today. And probably okay. could have gone a little longer. Probably.
0: Yeah. No, that's a fine Sunday start. Um, no the, the more the, at first i thought they would probably in this hypothetical move sanya to sunday um but the 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 frankly if you offered me right now hey uh 4.1 and 3 runs on sunday every sunday in SEC play i'll take it um 100%. just because i think i think this offense is going to mash um sunday pitching so uh yeah you're probably right so and sanya maybe he's a guy with you know the high spin fastball that that translates better to the bullpen right now. I don't know, and again, this hypothetical is at least what a month and a half away. Yeah, I'd say uh, at least
1: with, a month and a half.
0: So you know, it, it, there's going to be a lot of baseball games that matter over the next month and a half that Ole Miss is going to have to continue to play well if they want to win. Um, look, the, the the thing with me in this is, um, and I think they will, but there is an element of you know when when you play like how many new guys did Ole Miss start today? Five, is that right?
1: Are you talking about just in the field and like, four. yeah, Groff it's four, yeah, Groff, Calarco, four. Leger. I mean mark was the DH, Uh, yeah. so four. But they they have five guys that returned from last year's lineup,
0: right? Yes, is that accurate? Okay, um, so half your lineup is new guys haven't haven't been in the SEC before. Before I look, and I think they're going to to be able to to hit. Um, Saturday pitching extremely well. And I'm pretty confident they're going to mash Sunday pitching. But I, I there is an element of I want to see those guys do it before I just proclaim that this offense is going to be elite for the rest of the year. Um, So, with that being said, Ole Miss is going to have to continue to hit at this level, I think, especially until Elliott gets back, um, if they're going to want to be successful in SEC play.
1: What have your general impressions been of Sonia so far? Because you look at it. And if you didn't watch the uh, outing, you just looked at the box score, and it's like, all right, he got dinged up a little bit, you know, five runs on eight hits. But then you look at it, it's like, damn, he eleven strikeouts, two walks, pitch count spikes a little bit, oh, he's special he's pitches. But he's got the special elements. It just feels like again he's learning how to pitch a little bit. I don't know. There just seems to be more, um, I would say, consequential mistakes than you would see of a veteran starter, which is natural. But the stuff is obviously sure. there, and that's resulted. I mean, that's kind of underscored in his swing and miss stuff.
0: Not especially um I don't know it's it's Gunnar Hoagland was really bad as a freshman um you just gotta give look and and that's the thing with you know if you did the doherty thing in the rotation, it's you know do you do you think it's in this kid's best interest to move him to the bullpen? I probably don't um, but you have to weigh his best interest versus the team's best interest, and that's kind of hard um so yeah, it's uh. It's a t- it would be a tough situation to have to decide which one of those two would come out of the rotation. Um, hopefully, for Ole this sake, again, this is a month and a half away, likely, from um, being an issue. Um, and, and here's another thing as well. I don't think Hunter Elliott jumps from – and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Um, I don't think he jumps from he's been out two weeks now, and they predict him back, what, mid-April, which is about five weeks-ish from now, I don't think my man takes seven weeks off and jumps in and is a Friday night guy again. So that's another element of it. So it'll be interesting to see how, if that situation unfolds, how they handle it.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And as much as like we talked about the hypothetical and what they do and they cross that bridge, they are still going to have a significant amount of time where the troops at their disposal are the ones that we're talking about right now, which is why if you're one of taking Hey, some sort of kind of concrete positive sign or something to keep an eye on going forward from this weekend where they just kind of manhandled a couple bad teams and one pretty good one is the fact that the bullpen was better. I think they only walked two guys. Ole Miss is still second in the SEC in terms of most walks allowed at 61. Granted, they had that one really bad weekend last weekend that kind of spiked that total a little bit, but the bullpen only walked. Uh, two hitters, I think they spanned like 12 and a third inning or something like that, gave up a couple runs. They were pretty good. They certainly didn't put Ole Miss in any sort of precarious spot after they built up a lead or something like that. They got the job done, which is certainly significant for this team going forward. So, you know, it's kind of, we'll see. Ole Miss is in the heart of the Big Ten schedule right now. Their conference schedule, they'll finish up Big Ten play next weekend with uh Purdue. <laughs> and I guess we'll kind of continue to see if this is hold up or if that was a little bit of an aberration. I'm curious to find out. Um, could Ole Miss win the Big Ten?
0: Uh, I think the Rebels would win the Big Ten by uh, ten games.
1: Do you think they will? I mean, if you go off winning percentage, <laughs> they, they might at the end of the year. I don't know if five and
0: one. I got a good feeling they're going to be eight and one after next week. That's uh yeah. I think they would. I uh, think they they take the uh, take the big.
1: Hopefully Maryland, will, if they end up winning, it sends them like a co-champions deal um, or at least gives them. Uh,
0: no, no, no joke. I would like – look, I, I was not a big fan of uh, Maryland and kind of their antics and stuff last weekend. Um, If they could stop losing games to teams like, you know, Hawaii, that would be good.
1: Good weekend for the Bows in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> Traveled a yeah. long way and uh, had some uh, results to show for it. Yeah, no, uh,
0: pretty solid weekend from them. Wow. Uh, Purdue is – Purdue appears to be terrible. So
1: They're not good. Oh, they're, I looked into that a little bit uh, earlier. They're
0: 8-4, and four, but they, like, beat Akron to death. They lost to Akron, though, 2-1, to one, which seems bad.
1: They lost to something
0: good. called NJIT, NJIT.
1: Ooh, I New know. Jersey Institute of Technology. I'm not uh, – this is not a defense of Purdue. Twice. that's, that's good. That's actually, I, I believe they've got a decent baseball program. I'm not, I'm not pulling your All leg right. here. I, I, they've been in the, they're the Highlanders. Have they not been in the NCAA tournament?
0: Maybe they have. They I think lost a couple of times.
1: Up. Not again. Probably should beat the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Um, but you know, I've, I've noticed them in the tournament a couple times in the last half decade. I just that. They, uh,
0: they, they lost to the Holy Cross, which that seems bad. They lost to the Holy Cross by nine.
1: Oh, this was the team that beat Northeastern in Arkansas. The Fayetteville twenty twenty one regional is their first win in program history. So, or uh, NCAA tournament win. So, you know
0: that wait they beat Arkansas?
1: No, no, no. They beat Northeastern in the Fayetteville regional. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, wait,
0: yeah. wait, wait a second. Hold on, hold on. Arkansas had Injet and Northeastern in a regional.
1: That is yes, I believe correct.
0: Oh my! It's freaking. Everybody that can play, and they get Northeastern. I guess they were the one seed, so it makes a little more sense.
1: Look, let me. I'm, I'm going to get it on this. I just want to make sure that this is <laughs> this is correct. Yeah, Arkansas, Nebraska is the two. Uh, Northeastern and the New Jersey Institute of Technology is the fourth seed. Yeah, Nebraska actually took them to Monday. People forget that, and Kevin I Kops do remember
0: throw, that. Kevin Copps had to throw like 62 innings, in Keith and Keith Law didn't say a word.
1: Yeah, he got mad about the Hogan thing, among other things. But uh, a day after he pitched, I believe on that Sunday, he threw like seven innings on that Monday to close out Nebraska. And uh, it was crickets from uh, Mr. Law and the rest of his cohorts at The Athletic. Wonder why that is. Um, But yeah, so shout out to Northeastern. Glad we got down that rabbit hole. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else stuck out this weekend. One of the things I've noticed, and Mike talked about this, I think a little bit after one of the midweek wins, but the the seamless way in which these three newcomers from the transfer portal have kind of slid in and ingratiated themselves as a part of this lineup and as productive piece of this lineup has been something that's been I don't know if you'd call it under the radar, because I think everyone realizes how good and important those guys are. But maybe something that's a little bit more difficult to do than they're making it look um, because. Again, it's not like high school guys where you come in and you kind of learn and you take every opportunity you can and you learn about the culture and all that stuff. These are guys that have already been other places, and so fitting in is not always the most seamless thing. But, man, um, in particularly, Groff and Calarco, Leje has been fine too, but just from the numbers that pop out between Calarco and Groff at the plate, the three portal guys that Ole Miss got to fill the position spots have been – I don't know how you couldn't give it an A grade so far. Again, it's early, but it's been important for them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You talk about, um, you know, Calarco and what he's provided offensively and Groff playing, playing an elite. I, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. He's really, really, really good in center field. Um, and he's just been a hit machine. And then Leger has the big weekend has, has been really, really good at third base, man. It's, uh, it's been one heck of a portal crew that, uh, that the Rebs have, uh, am I missing somebody?
1: No, those are the three that really stick out. And, yeah. uh, Grof is uh Groff is first on tied for first on the team with hits with Jacob Gonzalez at 19. They're both hitting 413. Groff has a 1267 OPS, which uh, leads the team. And um a 717 slugging percentage. Do you that'll probably play? That seems okay.
0: That seems good. That does seem good.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's in danger of being pulled from the lineup if he kicked. <laughs> If he <laughs> continues that clip of production, that's pretty remarkable. But, I mean, in all seriousness, it, it, it's been unbelievable. And, again, you're right. He's played a great center field. It's the first time I'd like to see a little bit more and kind of watch him more in center field. And by watching more, you know, watch more broadcasts that are not like the one this weekend because uh, you didn't get to see a ton of the ball traveling and guys making plays. But he's kind of on the verge of being the first, like, go-getter old Miss has had in center field since, I don't know, Woodman, where you feel like, oh, is he going to track that down Instead of when yeah. it's kinda of hitting the gap, it's like, okay, are they gonna screw this up or they're gonna limit the damage here? Um first one, it's Woodman or am I missing somebody? Uh Woodman. I'm trying to just think of center
0: fielders. Um, no. No, no. That's that's it. Um, I have a question. Is it is it good to have seven guys over one thousand OPS in your starting lineup? Is that good?
1: Yeah, I would say through what that'd be 12 games they played so far, I would say that is uh that'll get it done. That is that does seem good. And uh, and those
0: seven guys are guys that play every day. It's it's um you know, Gonzo, Groff, Alderman, Harris, Chatney, McCants, and then uh I'm forgetting somebody, but it's seven of them. Yeah, it's uh man, it's it's maybe one of the best lineups in the country. Gonzalez, Groff, Harris, Chatney, Calarco, Alderman and McCants. Yeah. Yeah. Groff leads with a like 1200 OPS. Yeah. That's, uh, it may be the best lineup they've had in a long time. Um, so they're, uh, they're relentless. And then, you know, they've got a dude on the bench that, you know, weighs 300 pounds and can run like a gazelle and hits the ball a long way. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good and deep lineup.
1: You mentioned them hitting average pitching and going, that being a sign to look for going forward that they were probably destroy average pitching today felt like the plot of a movie that could potentially happen for Ole Miss on Sundays in league play. Should you give them a chance on the other side of the mound? I don't think they'll score eight runs in every first inning on Sundays this year, but that felt like something to where, particularly if Ole Miss strikes early and you get a four run, like a four run first or a three run first, maybe attack another one in the second. Can Revis? Put together a couple of zeros or a zero, a zero, and a one, and, you know, not make that thing four to four by the third or something like that. Can he kind of allow them to continue to pile on and create separation? That felt like kind of an SEC Sunday light scenario today after Ole Miss really just kind of put the game to bed in the first inning. They're like, we've had enough of this Minneapolis stuff. We don't like these cage dugouts. We are going to end this through an inning and get through this as quickly as possible. And uh, they did.
0: Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a, solid to see them come out like that like, yeah it, it did feel like a Sunday game in, in a way like you're throwing some guys you're that, that maybe aren't your first relievers out of the bullpen you kind of see what you got in them um and, and hopefully they can hold it down and you know Rebus gives you the decent start and going 4.1 giving up I believe three maybe um so yeah no it, it did feel like a Sunday game in a way um and and I think Omus is gonna be really good in Sunday games this year. So uh yeah, no, it, it definitely had the feel of one for sure.
1: What did you make of it? Actually, I watched all three games because I was uh, I was off work by the time the game started on um Friday. It took me to game two to actually figure out that these dugouts were fully caged, like they had like the, the wiring like the little league ones in front of them. Yeah, it was a couple little league dugouts. I, I don't know how quickly you caught on to that one. But if Ole Miss was going to do the home run thing that they do or whatever, I guess they're fouling out of that sucker's single file. Again, Ole Miss did hit home runs this weekend. We just didn't get to see what happened other than the guy touch home plate after he hit it over the fence. Um, I imagine that would be a logistical nightmare, trying to get everybody out of the dugout one by one by one. That also seemed dangerous. What if there's a fire?
0: That's a good point. Do you think they like took numbers
1: to get out of the dugout in order? or like there had to be some sort of system, right? I would assume in all seriousness, like I, the guys that need oh, okay. to get out the dugout, let's get them closer to to the entrance. Maybe there's two exits. I don't, I don't know, but I, I would like to know what the idea was behind that dugout because look, in Major League Baseball, I mean, the A's still playing a football stadium. The Marlins did for a little bit. I get that you need some sort of protection. It's probably not the greatest look in the world just to have those old fashioned Miami Marlins dugouts where they don't have any sort of protection on them. But how do you go from, you know, your typical college major college level pro baseball temporary dugout to that construction box that they hollowed out one side <laughs> of? Like what what do you think went into the dugout construction? I was uh, so puzzled by so many things this weekend in terms of the setup that had nothing to do with the game. Yeah, literally had nothing to do with the game. I was just flabbergasted by the setup in general. Apparently the radio booth was super high up. There was no they didn't like they presumably – it looked like they had openings behind home plate for, like, premium seating, but they didn't utilize any of those. They just put what appeared to be scouts sort of off to the left where you could kind of see them. I just – I'd like to get the construct – the guy that was responsible for this layout on the podcast and just kind of pick his brain and be like, what, what was going on here, dude?
0: Uh, yeah, that 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 was a uh, massive logistical nightmare for for how they designed That was a bigger logistical nightmare than uh, my graduation from Ole Miss when they uh, told us outside of Farley Hall at like one in the afternoon, they were like, okay, all 300 of you guys get an alphabetical order. You know, oh, it's or- May. Yeah, it's May and hot, and maybe some people were hungover. I don't know, probably were. Um, and they are just like, hey, everybody get an alphabetical order. And then they handed us numbers, and we're like, hey, y'all get an order now uh, after that didn't work. And we're like, what? So, uh, yeah, um, this seems like a bigger um, screw-up than, than that was. So, that was – uh, yeah, it was bad.
1: Is that maybe it's the same guy, the Ole Miss graduation logistics guy <laughs> went his way up to the Midwest and was like, let's wreak havoc on this college baseball tournament. I probably told this story on the podcast before, but I had my own graduation logistical nightmare where I graduated in the Tad Pad. I was the morning graduation. They had a one o'clock graduation there. And they basically had everyone attending the uh afternoon one in the Tad pad and everyone exiting the morning one with one exit from that parking lot and no parking garages. I got stymied in there for three and a half hours and then had to walk to six. Where one of my relatives picked me up because I literally couldn't move. I was I would have been stuck there the entire night. It was uh, not a crossing guard in sight. I'd say it wasn't the greatest operation there. Uh, when you get stymied in for three and a half hours after you graduated was not. Wait, a- so
0: you sat in your car for three and a half hours.
1: Yeah, I I backed up. I would tell you without exaggerating, I probably backed up out of my parking space about six feet. Where I'd say I'm about halfway turned out of my parking space. And when I'm not telling, when I'm when I'm saying I did not move for over two and a half hours did not move an inch finally had to wait an extra 30 minutes to span the whole ordeal about three hours to where I could get up on a curb to temporarily park on a curb. So I could just ditch the car and walk. That is how that ended.
0: (laughs) It was something was this uh, was this undergrad or graduate?
1: it was undergrad. Honestly, that was part of the reason I decided not to walk for my graduate graduate degree. One, I didn't feel like getting on a cap getting in a cap and gown again and doing that whole ordeal. And Ole Miss I think was playing a baseball game that day that I was working. Um, so I just passed on that. But I'd be lying if I said that my experience the first time graduating in terms of, you know, exiting the premises uh didn't play a role in my decision to uh, walk or not the second time. That certainly was a factor.
0: All I remember, all I remember from my graduation is I was sitting in the back of the I guess it wasn't Farley. It was uh, the Ford Center. Uh, I apologize. uh um, I was sitting at the back somehow um, during graduation, and J.B. Woodman, I believe, hit a home run against Kentucky um, across the street. And I'm watching the game on my phone, but I'm trying to do it quietly. And there's like a guy three seats beside me that is also watching the game, and he was not doing it quietly. So as soon as Woodman hits it over the center field wall, he just goes, what? let's go. Like stands up during the middle of – Oh, uh, I didn't even pretend. Of, like – no, no. He, like, stands up during the middle of Tom, Tom Brokaw's speech. Oh. that <laughs> <laughs> like, man's go like, hot fives the guy beside.
1: Yeah, he was clearly dragged there um, and probably wanted <laughs> to just let everyone know, hey, I don't want to <laughs> be here. I'm here because I have to. He probably wished a couple people happy birthday on the way out. Um, speaking of, just as we were talking about Groth and the newcomers, I had this note written down earlier, but I skipped over it when we were talking about Groth. Seven hits on the weekend, eight RBIs and a couple walks.
0: Yeah, it will play. Yeah, he, he's just a, um, uh, if don't take this the wrong way, he's a dirtbag Like he just he just yes. plays extremely extremely hard, and and he cannot be fun to play against. Um, and you you love the kid because he's on your team, but if he's on the other team, it's probably miserable to play against him. He is an absolute dirtbag um, of a baseball player, which is an extreme compliment. Um, yeah, no, he's really good, really really big pickup for Ole Miss. I'm I'm bet they're really happy he didn't go to Notre Dame.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so because they they could certainly uh they've certainly could have used him so far. Um, so I want to get to this piece of it. The last kind of actual kind of thing from the weekend is you get two different guys start at DH this weekend, and you get basically one hit out of that hole throughout the entirety of the yeah. weekend. Your gets a hit. I think he had two runs scored. I think because he also drew a walk. But furnace, no, excuse me, you get two hits. I apologize. Furnace went one for three on um Friday against Maryland and then he goes 0 for three and I think was either pinch hit or pinch ran for did draw two walks in that one and that so it wasn't terrible but I guess my point being is after kind of a a pretty um red hot start to his Ole Miss career against Delaware he gets another hit in the midweek and then has a pretty damn strong weekend against Maryland last week, and it's cooled off a little bit the last couple games that's probably again I thought he went over in the Maryland game so I'm kind of retracting my own point here but overall, it does seem like a little bit of a revolving door at DH. It seems like Furnace is the leader in the clubhouse, but would you say, and I get some of it will probably still be matchup dependent throughout the entirety of the year, but that still seems to me a little bit unsettled. I don't know where you follow regarding DH at this point. Do you think it's just Furnace, or do you think they're still trying to figure uh, out, can you do Udemar? Can you do Malone? Like, what? what's kind of your no, thought? I, st-
0: I still think that's an open competition, for sure. Um, yeah. No, I don't think anybody solidified themselves, and and quite frankly, I think he'll give you know um, Malone maybe an opportunity, maybe Burford an opportunity. Although I don't know how you uh, what you do when because Burford is obviously the Ben Van Cleve sacrifice butt guy, so yes. you may not want to burn him in the DH role. Um, please, someone tell Mike to stop bunning. Uh, but anyway, no, I I think there is. A, I'm kidding about that, by the way. But I. Uh, no, I think those four guys that I named are still going to get every opportunity to be the D.H. Uh, going into SEC play.
1: Let's, that's really all I had from the weekend. Again, the first, the last two games really just matter of fact, they'll mishandle their business in a uh, very routine-like way. Well, let's take a look around the SEC real quick before we get out of here. I actually did not pull this up before we started recording like I normally do. Um, I guess we'll go to the Frisco Classic first. Mississippi State loses two games. They get a win against Cal, eight to four. That game was like four to four in the seventh. They pull away late. Um, you know, not to pick on the Bulldogs to start, but they they seem. to like they stink? They have, I think they might stink. I texted Borky this. Um, I think on their Saturday game that ironically enough ended up winning against Arizona State. It's like they don't do a whole lot well consistently enough to continue to win games. Like that offense is very streaky. I hate using the word streaky. streaky. Yes, yeah. it comes in and out like they look pretty awesome for a couple frames in a row. And then they'll have a go go through through the order where it's like, oh, that wasn't competitive. And again, that's part of baseball. And some of that just happens. But when they're is struggling as badly as they've struggled on the mound again, Ole Miss is second in the SEC in walks allowed or second to last. I should say allowed the second most uh, state is 12 ahead of them at like 72 or something like that. It's it's rough. They may not be good is my overall deduction with this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm there. Um, They're not good right now. I'll I'll go there. I mean, look, you, you lose to VMI, you lose to ULM, you lose to um, Arizona state, you lose to Ohio state, you lose to Oklahoma. Oklahoma obviously is a good program, but, but, you know, you have to, have to come back in the midweek against Southern Miss where, you know, that's impressive from an offensive standpoint, but then today you still give up nine runs to Southern Miss in the midweek game. Um, You know, I, Look, I, I'm not going to count the Bulldogs out ever until you know they're mathematically eliminated from the SEC tournament. But, um, man, it, it's it's if I'll say this: if I were a Mississippi State fan after last year, I would not be encouraged about where this program is currently at.
1: Yeah, it seems it. I mean, you mentioned kind of some of the pitching was. It's not just the losses; it's when they've lost. When they lost, they gave up 14 runs to VMI. They gave up 11 in the loss to ULM 13 in the one loss to Arizona state. They did win the series 10 to nine win over Southern, but they gave, they really just gave away eight of those nine runs in that game. And then when they lost in this game, they got 15 or excuse me, this weekend, they got 15 to Oklahoma lose eight, three to Ohio state too. But those are some pretty gaudy numbers in terms of just sheer runs allowed in those losses. So we'll see, but it's uh it's not, it hasn't been the strongest start to the year for the bulldogs um, by any stretch of the imagination Arkansas swept Wright State. Uh I know Wright State's had a pretty good program in the past. Congrats to them. Uh just kind of an onslaught there. Not yeah. a, a ton of thoughts on that one. I believe we have Vanderbilt in Minnesota. That game is that game's underway, isn't it? What does that score?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I stopped watching, Vandy was up three. 0 and I figured that would be enough. So So that'll be um, a two I and
1: one weekend for them. They did lose to Hawaii, who was just the giant killer this weekend. Lost to Nebraska. Um but- that was Nebraska. Oh, was it Nebraska?
0: Yeah, I think Hawaii. I think Hawaii played uh the the Big Ten teams.
1: You're correct. It's sorry, five-three to Nebraska, not Hawaii there. That was my mistake. Um, uh, Mizzou sweeps Texas Southern. Uh, they had the Friday sure. game, I guess get rained out, and get canceled. Sure. Not a ton of thoughts there, just running through it. Georgia, um, they Take two of three from Georgia Tech, lose the Sunday game four to one today. Okay, I'm not really overly impressed from the very little I've seen from Georgia so far. And then South Carolina back ends a series against Clemson. I watched a think good South Carolina might be good. I think they might be good too. So they entered the the series with Clemson this weekend, thirteen to nothing. This series rotates towns every year, so they don't do like the I know Georgia in the past right. has done like Athens, Atlanta, somewhere else, or something like that with the three games, they go to Clemson this year. I watched a ton of this Friday night game because there wasn't a ton on, and South Carolina didn't play very well in this game. They lose 5-2. to two. It was a very intense environment. It, it was a very competitive kind of high-energy college baseball game. But they come back and back into that series against a Clemson team that might be pretty good. I think the Gamecocks are going to make some noise in the East. They appear to be pretty good. couple good arms, one at least returns from last year in their rotation, and uh appears they can hit. So uh, South Carolina yeah. up and up.
0: They've, they've got Will Sanders and Noah Hill back to to go from a starting rotation. I think they're good. Um, but not last year on South Carolina. I don't believe they made the NCAA tournament last year. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't. But they had two guys that could pitch. They just couldn't swing it at all. Um, so yeah, no, I think this is a good team. I think they'll be in in line to maybe host a regional. Be a be a 14th through 16 seed. Um, I was gonna I was gonna touch on I was gonna ask on Mississippi State because you would know more than me about this.
1: He's in danger if they miss the tournament again. I don't know how that goes. I don't know. You know, they got the new AD coming in. I don't really have a great read. But to me, with the program of that stature coming off a national title, look, it depends on how bad it looks. Like, it would be get, I think, dicey if they missed the NCAA tournament again. But I think it might come down to how badly did you miss it? Did you miss it with flying colors like they did last year? Or did you just have a rough year? You well, you barely missed the tournament. That's certainly not acceptable at a program like that. But you got close, and it gives you the opportunity to fire a couple assistants, Foxhall, Gotro, whatever, and kind of retool and string it out one more year. But I do think that becomes a conversation if Mississippi State does fall into a situation where they are missing the NCA tournament. Or close. I mean, look, I don't think it's going to leave a great taste in anyone's mouth if they again, it's still very early. They could turn it around. Sure. But if they go as like a pretty feeble three seed and go two and through and like they got in and participated, but not much other than that. I don't think that would be the greatest look ever, too. I think that could get dicey. I don't think obviously this. his job, but that would put the seat hotter for 2024. He'd be fired
0: if it were LSU. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I I would like to see the coach that survives missing two NCAA tournaments in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's fair. He, his house, his house might be burned down. Just burned at the stake. Yeah, like, I didn't say he'd be in it. I just said his house might be burned down.
1: So I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see how that year plays and, out. And again,
0: I don't think they do. I, I think they,
1: I think they're a three seed, but I'm not. I don't think they're very good. Um, I don't either. Uh, I I'm, I'm fascinated to kind of see where they end up falling in the pegging order. Cause again, as you look at this sec West um, talk about the only team that I can say definitively might stink. Um, how about the Texas A&M uh, Aggies here? Not, not the greatest. They may want to win. They may want to win tonight. Yes. They lose to Louisville 14 to five. They lost two of three to Portland the weekend before. They lost a midweek game to Lamar at, yeah, they do. They do well to win this one. I believe they played eight thirty at the Shriners. No, no to get score to...
0: through five.
1: Okay, no so this 40. game's already underway. This is a different yeah. uh this that was Eastern time. So they're playing Texas yeah. Tech. zero, zero through five.
0: Uh zero, zero, I believe, top of the fifth.
1: Okay, that's actually moving pretty quickly for a uh Texas AM game. Um anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> they might stink, but if, as it like re- kind of circling that back to state, just the SEC in general in the West in particular is just gonna be a complete bear. So, you know, you could be not that bad and have a really, really rough conference record and state hasn't done a ton in the non-conference to kind of not save themselves because no sec team's ever going to do but to compensate for that by any stretch so i don't know um let's look around the rest of this lsu just an absolute murderer's row of opponents this weekend they played central connecticut state they played butler Oh, butler and then central Connecticut state for the last two games they won 12 to 2 26 to 4 and 13 to nothing
0: yeah that was uh it was a get get right weekend um so yeah that nothing from that um
1: yeah i that'd paul be putting him out really
0: good, but yeah paul skeens is really good that's all i got
1: and then kentucky what they do they here?
0: won all three they won all three in close fashion
1: they did. Those were three pretty close competitive games. I'm just looking at the score here. And then Tennessee really just kind of destroys Gonzaga on the weekend and it appears to be pitching it pretty –
0: Gonzaga's a good low. team too.
1: Yeah, Gonzaga is good and Tennessee. Look, Tennessee, I know that first weekend was an aberration a little bit. I know Kendall and them caught kind of some plaque for not moving oh. them down after that. I think they're appearing to be justified because they look – Pretty damn strong so far. And then I think Auburn swept Lipscomb. Yeah, a couple close games, a couple one run games on the back end of that series, but sweeps them. And that was really about it for action in the Southeastern Conference this weekend. I don't think we missed much of anything. Um, sort of
0: took two or three
1: from Miami. Yes, that is correct. That was the one actually competitive series that I missed. I'm sitting here talking about how there wasn't much to go off of. And uh, Florida looks like they can swing it. Uh, they're leading the yeah. conference in home runs at 31. They got some dudes that can put the ball over the fence. That's going to be uh they're going to be very good in the East.
0: They are. They're going to be a really, really good baseball team. Um, hopefully they, uh, they lose the Gainesville regional for the third year in a row because karma's still a thing.
1: Yes. Karma for a uh, multitude of reasons. There is still a thing. That's going to do it for kind of the look around the SEC. That was really kind of it, a lighter weekend. Uh, but Ole Miss will have, over, overall, a pretty good week for Ole Miss. I know they kind of win that midweek game on a technicality, but, hey, whatever, they avoided going you know 0-2 in the midweek sure. and they take care of business this weekend. I think when you looked at this schedule, starting with Maryland last weekend, getting them in the tournament, a couple of midweek games mm-hmm. in between, I think you would take – what was that? Seven, seven and six and two through the eight games. Yeah, yeah. no,
0: cer- certainly, absolutely. Um, all right, who uh, who's going to be the basketball coach?
1: Oh man, I don't know. I I I I don't think it's Dusty May. Um, I don't think it's Beard or Wade. I think, particularly, not even kicking the tires oh, on what goes. Name do they hire? I'll give you an outside one that Bracken gave to me. Paul Mills at Oral Roberts. Sure. I, I mean, look, that was a team that went to the sweet 16 a couple years ago. They went 19 and 12 last year, and lost in their conference tournament, and they're 27 and four and running through their league. And they're going to be the NCAA tournament again. I mean,
0: okay, I, I, you're right. Like,
1: so, okay. like
0: so, yeah, the resume is good enough, right? Here, I think, is my issue is like, I think from a basketball perspective, when you look at the the fan base and the attendance at games and stuff, um, man, you kind of just, you need to hire somebody with some cachet if you're going to get this
1: fan base back. I could not agree more. I mean, it's, it feels like a time to take a gigantic swing, make a splash. I know people say that all the time. And like, it ends up mattering very little, right? Like, I mean, I was listening to Neil and Chase's podcast from Thursday night and they had the Bauer Mizzou guy on Gabe Diarmond. And he was like, it's worth remembering. Like when uh, Missouri hired Kevin Gates last year, Missouri fans were outraged. They're like, what is Cleveland state? And why is this dude coming to basketball here? And it worked out. But to your point with the way the program is from kind of a perception standpoint, fan interest, it feels like you need a guy with some juice. And I don't know if Paul Mills is bringing that juice. I don't know if dusty may is. Maybe that's all overrated and it's just a short-term thing. I just think if you hire a guy with less cachet than that, that's going to make winning immediately a little bit more paramount versus a guy that's, you know, you bring an um, established winner and probably give them a of the doubt for longer.
0: Who, who? Let me ask you this because you follow college basketball closer than I do. Who's the best X's and O's coach in college basketball to you? The best? Not, not – yeah. Who's the best X's and O's coach?
1: I mean, honest to God, Beard overall would have been up there. Um, okay. I don't know if he counts. Um, Let's take Beard. – could Beard have won with this roster this year? Could
0: Beard have them in the NCAA tournament this year?
1: In the tournament, I don't know. He could have made them competitive and bubbly. Okay. So, so
0: My question then becomes um, if the best X's and O's coach in college basketball could not get the current talent level um, definitely in the NCAA tournament, you need a talent upgrade, right? That would be get... will. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But to get a talent upgrade, what do you need?
1: That's what I'm saying. A guy like Will Wade you... that can go in and yeah,
0: if... well, you. Need I don't know how NIL he can money.
1: recruit at the. Level... I don't know if he'd recruit at the level he did at LSU, but a guy with a proven track record of getting dudes. Yeah,
0: you're right. But to get dudes nowadays, you need NIL money, and I don't know if hiring a cat like. What, what was the guy's name? No disrespect, but what was Paul his Mills. name? Yeah, I don't know if doing that just fires up the, the folks to uh, give to the Grove Collective to get basketball
1: players. I'm with you. I think that's a great point, and that's part of it. It's part of what I wrote about in the newsletter earlier this week when kind of assessing this hire. So I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Just a guess. Do you think by the time we do this podcast next Sunday, that would be the SEC tournament will be over? That'll be Selection Sunday. Does Ole Miss have a coach? I think yes.
0: Wow, Do you think yeah? Then okay. Do you let me? Re, let if me you don't,
1: second, then what but, are you but, doing?
0: Well, what if Or
1: Roberts makes the tournament? Okay, that's fair. That's I guess I didn't think about that aspect of it. The because most of their candidate pool is not going to be tur- in the tournament, right? I mean. College of Charleston's I mean, got to shot. Dusty May's gonna be. Yeah, Dusty May will be in there. Dora Roberts guy will be in there. So yeah, maybe College of Charleston. Maybe it just changed my mind on the spot. Like it, again, but it depends on who they go with. If you go with the Holtman, the Chris Mack, the beard, the Wade route. And again, I don't
0: I I, I would I would hire it. Look, if you
1: if you decide you can't do beard, okay. Like, I get it. I would Chris Mack would be my next hire. Again, and that's a matter of like. The other two, it sounds like okay, they probably like, will wait, I think, would probably take the job. Like, I don't have any sort of clue what Mac's interest is into getting back into coaching at this juncture sure. and in turn taking the old miss job of all things. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. what his forecast and his options are and what his mindset is, but I'm with you. I think that could and probably potentially would work. Yeah, I mean, that's at least some cachet there. So,
0: so I don't know. Um, I know, I know they got to get it right.
1: We will uh, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe we'll have a coach to talk about at the end of next week's podcast. He is Colin Brister. I appreciate the time as always, my man. We'll holler at you next Sunday. All right, thank you, man. All right that was Colin. Appreciate you making to this pot- part of the podcast as always. Thanks for listening. We'll be back at some point this week. It might be a little news, uh, news dependent. I kind of want to see how the basketball search plays out, but we'll have a couple more podcasts for you um, here to start the week. Just don't know quite what that's going to look like yet, but stay tuned. Some great content coming for you down the pipe. Thanks for listening as always.